Ephesians chapter 1 here this morning. I wanted to just say a word. This is uh, uh, Erica's last Sunday with us before she goes back to South Carolina. She's been with us on the platform doing music during this whole time since the first Sunday, and so we appreciate her coming in every week to do that, and it's been hugely enhancing to have a violin in with this mix. It's just a wonderful sound, so we appreciate her uh, doing that, and uh, hopefully that will raise up some more violinists in our church to uh, be a part of what we have going on. I still feel like we need a cello up here. Uh, That's just such a a mellow, awesome instrument. At any rate, um, thank you to uh, Erica. I am preaching a message this morning called Compelling Community. Next Sunday, Josh has a message on community as well, and he's going to take care of a passage that is very critical to this topic. I mentioned last Sunday that I had an announcement to go along with this that I will share here in just a moment, and I'm going to do that on the front end because I don't want to kind of put it out there that we've got to wait until the end. And then the announcement actually overshadows the scripture that we're going to talk about, which is the whole reason to do what we're planning to do uh, is the scripture and the text that we're going to look at. There's a couple of things that automatically are part of your thinking right now that were not a part of your thinking six months, a year ago. Okay, here they are. Everywhere you go, whether it's Walmart, church, restaurant, work, wherever. Okay, when will things be normal? All right, that question comes up all the time in our minds. We we don't say it. We're thinking to ourselves, when when is it going to be normal? And here's the second question that's right on the heels of that. What does normal look like now? I think we're coming to the conclusion that normal is going to look different than what it did six months or a year ago. I mean, you may even hear with some particular avenues of whether it's dining or shopping or your work or whatever, that there's, there's the normal that you once knew will never be again. I, I don't know. I'm not laying that over everything. But certainly we ask those questions about church as well. When will things be normal? What will normal look like? I'm not going to answer those questions today because I don't have an answer for those questions. None of our pastors have an answer for those questions. None of our deacons have an answer for those questions. And you don't have an answer for those. I mean, it's just literally impossible to know when will things be normal and what will normal look like. In the course of doing this, we believed, as we've discussed over the last few months in church regathering, that there are as you could imagine, numerous complications with with everything. Now, I know you may have had this whole thing figured out in your mind, but when you're dealing with a broad spectrum of people, then you have to deal with a broad spectrum of people. And so we have to do what we believe is best for this congregation and for what we should uh, do for this time. Uh, we do tap into lots of other congregations, whether they be personal friends or whether they be people that we've heard about or other churches. I'm constantly on the lookout for what's going on in other places. Even with those ideas, as you could well understand, what someone does in Arizona or Oklahoma 
may not work here because of the restrictions or what's going on here. So we try to tap into lots of other things. So our intent wasn't to pull the best ideas that we could find and just try to do them. Our intent, number one, was to do what God wanted us to do from the Scripture to shepherd you in a way that is helpful for you. While there are things that we do not know, there are some things that we do know. We do know that you are formed by the Word. We know that. That has not changed. The coronavirus doesn't change God's Word shaping us because the Holy Spirit is not less strong now than he was before. So we know that the Word shapes us. We know that prayer shapes us. Scripture-based prayer and uh, prayer shapes us. We know there are some things that shape us. And we know that community shapes us. Community of believers and as believers gather. And so we believe that what we're doing here is good. It's the Lord's Day and it's church, even though it's different than what we had before. And we're not all here. There are those of you on live stream, as I mentioned in the letter this last week, we have about half of us uh, that have been joining. And maybe a a little bit more each week, but then we have uh, those who may not feel comfortable yet going back because of work or health or age or whatever. And all of that is fine. We're not going to push people to be in church right now. We want you to do what is best for you. We would like you to be in church, whether it's here or online. But we know this. We know that this is not enough. And do you know what? We said this before coronavirus. We said from this pulpit, the Sunday morning service is not enough. I mean, it's simply not enough. I mean, when we see in the New Testament, the book of Acts, they weren't just coming and listening to sermons and then living life. That's not what was happening uh, exclusively, that there were other ways of having the Word come to people so that we could digest God's Word instead of just hearing it and, and going away, as is sometimes the case. We are just like the person in James who sees our face in a mirror as the Word is held up, but then we go our way and forget what manner of person we are. It's very easy to do that. And we personally have to maintain a sustained look at God's Word, but we are not created to do that alone. This is not me and Jesus, and we just try to live our lives. But we do that, God saves us and places us into a community. And so what we would like to uh, lay out for you that we will now begin pushing in advertising and recruiting and explaining and uh, talking about, uh, probably to the point where you hear about it too much, is we want to talk about, here at Bethel Baptist Church, community groups. Community groups are going to be our new normal for this time. We will obviously still be meeting on Sunday morning. But we want to provide for you opportunities where you can gather in smaller groups, should you feel comfortable doing so, and meet together for these purposes. Number one, godliness, maturity. And Josh is going to talk about that next week from Colossians chapter 1, that there is a labor that has to occur one-on-one for us to help one another to mature. It is very possible 
to be in a church for decades, sitting in a Sunday morning service, and maybe even serving in that church, but really never growing into maturity because the Word is not digested or interacted with, uh, with others' lives. It's very possible for that to happen. And we just think that's, that's unfortunate if we don't provide. We cannot guarantee maturity, but we can provide spaces where that can happen. Uh, secondly, we need to have spaces for mutual care. You have done well at caring for one another during this time, but we know this, not everyone has been cared for to the extent that you need cared for because, quite frankly, how could you possibly know everything that's going on in my heart? How could you possibly know what's going on in the hearts of other people in this congregation by coming in, sitting down, and walking out and fellowshipping a little bit? And even if you talk to them for 10 minutes... How could a a deep, meaningful, sustained spiritual conversation take place purely in that time? We know that that simply can't happen. And so we need to have spaces to provide for mutual care, not just of our physical needs, but of our spiritual heart needs. And then thirdly, we want to have spaces where we strive to see Christians and non-Christians ultimately meeting together where non-Christians would ultimately come to the point of glorifying God and seeing the love and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That is uh, our objective. And so maturity, mutual care, and mission. Community groups will be groups consisting of approximately 12 people, 8 to 12 people that will gather And this will be depending on what the group decides. We're not legislating that it will be this night and this night, but each group will decide what is best for that group. That group is actually going to care for itself. There will obviously be pastoral oversight to be able to help and troubleshoot and and, uh, provide assistance, but that group is going to care for itself and decide when that group meets on what night of the week that that group meets. This will happen formally once a week. It will not just be, hey, when do you guys want to meet? But formally, once a week, this group will meet together in the areas of uh, the community that we've designated where uh, people have offered their homes to study, to pray, to encourage one another in the home of a member uh, near where you live. And we have at least right now six of these lined up that will begin formally on September 13th. So we have the month of August, which will be coming up here next Sunday, to be able to talk more and to recruit, and I'll talk about some specifics here as we get towards the end of the message. But we believe that for this time, this is not something that we're putting together uh, to try and create because we just feel like we need more to do. That's not what this is at all. We want, we want to provide opportunities for you to fellowship. Uh, you can get together without our permission to do that. But we believe what we want to do, as we will see reflected in the book of Ephesians today, is to have gospel-revealing communities, compelling communities, where we grow, we mature, we care for one another mutually, and we have mission. And we would like to do that. So, I want us to see, first of all, as we turn towards Ephesians chapter 1, that compelling community 
And please don't dismiss this as, oh, I already know that, or that's an easy point, or he's kind of putting in something easy to talk about here. I want us to spend time really thinking about this. A compelling community is first and foremost, and we could almost say exclusively, about Jesus. A compelling community is about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 is an incredible display of God's grace. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, He has blessed us. I'm reading parts of verses here. He has blessed us, and I'm going to add some emphasis. He's blessed us in Christ. So I'm going to continue reading, but I want you to stop on that for a moment because if you remove the in Christ part of this, the rest goes away. This isn't simply God just kind of doling out general blessings to humanity because he's just kind of a peace-loving person, but it's in Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many illustrations could we give about that one phrase right there? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is not holding back his blessing Because he's blessing us in Christ. Verse 4. Go to the end of the verse. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Not just as neighbors, not just as people that he's acquainted with, but he has blessed us and adopted us as sons because we are in Christ. Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Verse 8, which He lavished upon us, and all of that is because we are in Christ. Now, I'm pushing towards chapter 3 and verse 10. We're not going to get there yet. But I want to lay this groundwork because if we're talking about compelling community, the community that existed long before humans ever existed, if we can say it this way, is the community of the Holy Spirit. God did not create humans because he was tired of being around God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He needed more people to talk with. That that trinity, that triune Godhead was completely satisfied in himself from eternity past and will be in eternity future. And that was the first community. God has created us to be social beings. He created Adam and Eve that way. And now as we fast forward to the New Testament, it is because of Christ that we can have restored community with God. That is the true community. That is compelling community in its purest form. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. You turn over just a chapter. I'm coming to the... I'm skipping over some parts because we're getting to that in point number 2. But look again at this incredible, compelling Spirit of Christ in verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together, here it is, with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 13, But now, 
in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm simply going to state in the chapter 2 and verse 22, in chapter 3 and verse 6, in chapter 3 and verses 11 and 12, again, the words in Christ appear. They are not just extra words. They are critical to the argument that Paul is, is making that this is because we are in Christ. So I want to st- state at the very beginning, a compelling community is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. We have to keep this before us, and we will keep bringing this up, not, not because we think that we have to do it, or, well, it's about Jesus, so we should say that. It really and truly is about Jesus. We're not looking to do another thing here. It's not what we're looking to do. It's not, you know, we need to have programs. We can't just do this, so what else are we going to do? What are we going to add? We need to keep adding. It's exhausting. It's going to exhaust people to do that. What can we do that's going to help people to mature in Christ, provide mutual care, and have mission during a difficult time? What can we do? We are desiring to do something that is compelling, and I mean compelling in the truest sense. Compelling not because it's a cool idea. Quite frankly, this is just small groups. We're calling it community groups because it's going to be community-based. I'll talk about that here in the end. Nothing new about that. That's been around since the 80s. So we're not had some new idea here. But it's an idea for our church that's going to be newer. We want to have something that is compelling and that is truly compelling because we have sought and we've strived to make this about Jesus. Fellowship is part of it, but it's not about fellowship. It's about Jesus. Understand that these various community groups or these various groups are not wrong. We're not trying to create... There's lots of ways to create community, right? I mean, these these are not wrong ways to create community. We're not doing something in opposition to these ways. There's, there's lots of ways to create community that are not wrong. We can create community based upon sports teams. We can create community based upon similar hobbies. Bird watchers, hunters, woodworkers. We can gather similar professions together. Doctors, teachers, pastors. These communities that can be created can be helpful and mutually encouraging if they're talking about something that is of interest to everybody. We can gather people in similar stages of life. We've done that. Churches have done that for years. We can have newly marrieds and elementary kids and youth groups and retired people. We can have men's communities. We have women's communities. All those things are fine. Nothing wrong with those things. There's lots of ways to create community. All I'm pointing out here is this from the book of Ephesians. As we push towards Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, which is going to strongly target the church, what we see in the book of Ephesians is that the truest compelling community is created because of Jesus, and that's what unites people. If this is about Jesus, if this really is about Jesus, and as you hear about this in the weeks to follow, If this really is about Jesus, then should we not assess our lives to make space for this to happen? Please don't take this as a sales pitch. 
I don't think I'm even going to have to sell this a lot. Quite frankly, we didn't start out by having 20 community groups. I think these are going to fill up fairly quickly, and when they fill up, that's it for now. We would look to multiply, but we want to keep to the fact we don't know what's going to happen in the days to come. We don't want to create something that we can hardly get our arms around. So don't take this as a sales pitch, like I really work to get people to understand this. I'm only trying to help us to understand and to give us life in our soul as to what we're doing and for us to think about our schedules and our lives. This will be different for some of us. But if it's about Jesus, then would it not be something that we would think to ourselves, family, we're going to have to kind of pull back and we're going to have to figure out how to adjust because we want that. We want something that's about Jesus and we want that level of growth. I understand health concerns. I understand legitimate work schedules. I understand all that. So please do not take this as if you don't do this, something's wrong with you. But if this is something that you should be doing, let me push and challenge and encourage you that this is something that will help you to grow spiritually, maturity-wise, mutual care, and your mission and care for the lost. I have to say this, community, compelling community is about Jesus, but here's the second thing. Compelling community is very difficult. Look at chapter 2. Compelling community is very difficult. Here's why. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Could we just simply say that when a person encounters the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand Christ died for you, you repent of your sin, you trust Christ as Savior, you move from being a child of wrath, as what the Scripture says, you do not automatically transform into an angel of light. Is there anybody here who has done that? You might say, well, my grandma is the closest thing to an angel of light, but your grandma still has flesh. Grandmas can be mean and unkind, and even if they don't say it, it exists within the heart because we are in a sanctification process. That means God is helping us to become more like Jesus Christ, and we don't automatically have everything together the moment we're saved. We don't. So now think about it. You take people like that, and you put them in a home and now what do you have? It's all about Jesus. But you have people with lots of complications. And we don't have people exempt from that. We're all part of that. This is very difficult. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. He himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you think it's possible that you could be in a community group with someone that you feel hostility towards? 
If you're human, absolutely. Jesus breaks down that dividing wall of hostility by abolishing, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, a place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is Cain and Abel through the human race. This is Cain and Abel. Here are people, here are are men who grew up together, loved each other, were in a, I mean, the only two guys that ever could say that they had perfect parents. And here are two guys at, at enmity with each other, and that has exploded through the entire human race. And now we have community groups, and it lands right in those community groups. This is hard. Paul himself says in Ephesians 3.13 that he suffers to bring about this glorious community. He is under suffering himself and is writing to help bring about this glorious community. Our old man, that's the, the old man prior to becoming a Christian, our old man wants comfort, it wants our own way, and community is not going to serve us up to us our own way. It just simply doesn't do that. It doesn't do that in families. <laughs> families don't automatically just all of a sudden get along together. Community doesn't serve up our own way the way I want it to be served up. Is there any question as to the, to the difficulty of this? When Paul is praying in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, like he's praying. This is one of the most beautiful prayers of the entire New Testament, and it's following these verses, these passages about Jesus being the one who saves us, and then the flesh, and then God makes a a new man, a a new creation, and he, He lands that in the local church. And then this beautiful prayer. In the ESV, the heading for that section, verses 14 to 21, is prayer for spiritual strength. And it concludes in verse 21, to Him be glory in the church. Chapter 3 is about the church. This is going to be difficult. So the third and final point that I have here this morning, a compelling community I'm calling it this, this is an otherworldly spectacle. It is an otherworldly spectacle. This is where I want us to get to ver- chapter 3 and verse 10. So chapter 1, you've got this beautiful picture of sal- salvation. Chapter 2, you've got it lands on the street level. This is humanity. God making new man. Chapter 3, it says in verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are those people? Are they even people? Peter O'Brien in his commentary on Ephesians says, quote, the term here in 3.10 should probably be taken as the heavenly gathering that is assembled around Christ and as the local congregations of Christians. 
Let me read the verse again. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think about that. It's like Jesus is pointing at local congregations and He's saying, look how incredibly wise I am. And yet it's these imperfect people gathering together, making Jesus the very center. And that, folks, that is how God shows how wise He is. That's amazing. I wonder if there are some beings that are around the throne that wonders if it's a good idea for those people to be together. I don't know. You really sure, God, that you want to put you want to allow this to happen for these people? Wouldn't it be better if this person was in this group over here? There wouldn't be so much da 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 whatever. And I just wonder if God might say something like, "Watch what happens when they talk about Jesus. Watch what happens." When Jesus is at the middle. It's not our ability to connect or our ability to create a community in such a way that is going to finagle this incredible scheme. It is about giving the opportunity and the space for Jesus to be at the very center. It is the gospel that's at the very center. A compelling community does have an effect upon us. A literal, physical, emotional effect. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. Listen to the Apostle Paul's word. I don't think about the Apostle Paul as like a really lovey-lovey sort of guy. I, I don't know why, just in my head I got kind of a guy who's, who's sort of writing and not the kind of guy you'd go to for, I don't know, a hug or a cup of coffee or whatever. I, that's just in my head. But listen to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. It's one of the things I love about this cookbook. I didn't read that thing that Josh read today that was written there that Tammy was able to have a bunch of you put to that together. I didn't, I didn't hear that until I was sitting here today. I love this because it's, it's, it's the sharing of more than, than information. It's the sharing of ourselves that we're trying to create here and focusing on Jesus. We shared our own selves because you had become very dear to us. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. What a great verse to think about how spending time with people and Jesus being at the center, the transformation that can happen amongst those people. I want to talk as I conclude this message about some practical questions about community groups, and these will not be complete. They are to begin the conversation that we're going to have here at church that will last for some time. Are community groups for teens? Yes. Community groups are not just for adults, they are for teens. So when you sign up for a community group, you can sign up to bring your teenager. It may not be that they are able to come each week, but there are things that teenagers, if this teenager is a Christian, there are gifts that that teenager has. Certainly awesome to be in the youth group and so forth, but in the wider body of Christ, for that teenager to be a part of and to hear those discussions that they, we would like for them to be part of community groups. 
Can children come? Yes, children can come. This is probably the most tricky question that involves way too many answers for such a time as right now, but we will have more information to come. But yes, children can come. Each group will decide how to care for the children in that group. Okay? Each group will decide how to care for the children in that group. We will have some ideas as to how that can happen. Church is not providing babysitting, but each group will decide how to care for children in that group that will be safe, that will be helpful. And yes, we would like for children to be able to be there, though they won't be in the group, but they will be part of what's going on within that home. When will groups meet? Groups will meet each week on the day of the week that the group decides. First time that we will meet will be September 13th. Every group will meet that Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. Okay, 4 to 6 p.m. Sunday, uh, September 13th. That's a Sunday after Labor Day. That's the best Sunday to kind of get things going. That will be the time that your community group will meet on that Sunday to go through a list of things to determine what will happen with uh, the care of children in that group, which night of the week that you will meet, and so on and so forth. So September 13th from 4 to 6 p.m. Groups will then meet from September until November 8th, so nine times for this fall semester, and then we'll re-up things uh, for January, but obviously uh, we'll do that as time permits. What will happen in these community groups? What will actually be taking place? First of all, there'll be a little bit of fellowship in the community group. Um, there is value in fellowship, and so some talking, maybe 15 minutes or so of that, or 20 minutes. There'll be then a time to pray. Uh, that time to pray will be a time to pray for, as people become aware of the needs of group members, to pray for group members, and there will be a time of prayer that the group will do to help one another to bear burdens in prayer. The bulk of the time, then, will be on two activities. Number one will be to discuss the sermon. Uh, This will be a sermon-based discussion. So what is preached on Sunday morning, there will be a discussion guide, and you will have a discussion that you will go through and to go deeper within that sermon. Um, And then the second part of that time will be accountability. Uh, We'll have a time where uh, we will have a question like, how did things go for you this week with your Bible reading? Now, in saying those things, that may conjure up in your mind, will someone make me talk? Um, And the answer to that is no. No one's going to make you talk. You can feel free to share as you feel comfortable sharing. So some of you may come to a community group and not say anything for several weeks. Our hope is is at some point you'll say something. But no one's going to make you talk. No one's going to make you share things. No one's going to say, all right, we're going to go around. Everybody's going to tell uh, if they had a good or a bad week. Start with you right over here. And you're like sweating, 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 saying, I'm never coming back to this again. Many of us have been in groups like that, the awkwardness of that. By the way, there will be awkwardness in these groups. You cannot take human beings and put them in the group and do away with all awkwardness. We will embrace the awkwardness. You will be in a group with someone who talks way too much. You may be the person who talks way too much. And I say that because you may not know how to stop that. You may think, I just, when I'm nervous, I talk. 
And everybody's sitting around like, I don't know what to do about this. We're going to embrace that awkwardness. We're going to help with those things. Because you know what? That happens in families too, doesn't it? There are family members who do things that makes other families feel awkward. And so what do you do? You get rid of that kid. You get another one. No, you don't do that. <laughs> well, what we do in our family is we mock them till they stop. No, we don't do that either. We're not doing any of that. We bear one another's burdens together, and we help with those things, right? So we're going to have a time of accountability, and we're going to grow in that. And no one will make me talk. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I've said this already. I'm sure it will be reiterated in days to come. We're not doing this because we feel obligated. Like, you know, as pastors, we're like, oh, my word, we've got to do something. What are we going to do? Oh, let's do this. Mm-mm. This is not a fear-based, it's not a program-based, it's not we better offer something else, you know, we, no, no. We are offering this for maturity, mutual care, and mission. It is our desire, our prayer, our hope that in time, first of all, that this would endure, (laughs) but in time, there will be people, and I know this is already going to start happening because your minds are going to start going you're going to be thinking about non-Christian friends you want to invite to your community group. And what a glorious opportunity it will be to invite a non-Christian friend to come in and to be part of something like that in a home, a less threatening environment, and to hear conversation about Jesus and to sit there week after week after week and, Lord willing, come to Christ. How do I sign up? What do I do? How do I make this a part of my life. This afternoon, I will put on our Bethel Facebook page and on Bethel, uh, our Bethel Life Facebook group a link uh, to SurveyMonkey. Uh, you click on that link. It takes one minute, okay? I've had our pastoral staff do it. It took one of them 40 seconds. It took one of them 54 seconds. It took one of them a minute and four seconds. And it took one of them two minutes and two and, and 10 seconds. I have no idea what that individual was doing for two minutes and 10 seconds, and I will not reveal his or her name, okay? Do you get that? I said his or her. All right, yeah. It's trying to be as... takes one minute, all right? So here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a, a, a sign-up for the location. So we have Coopersburg West, we have Coopersburg East, we have Quakertown, we have Sellersville North, we have Sellersville South, and we have Doylestown, okay? You're going to see those locations, which convenient is most uh, comfortable for you to attend. You select one of those locations. You will select uh, if you're bringing children and the ages of those children. Again, you may bring one week, you may bring two kids, next week you bring one kid, all right? Um, But the probability of how many kids you'll bring. You'll put your name in, you'll put your phone number, you'll put your email, and you'll answer one final question there. Have you had experience with a small group before? Yes or no, that's it. And then you'll press done, and you're done. At the end of August, beginning of September, someone will contact you, letting you know if you have, uh, where you'll be assigned, and those things. Um, what if I don't get in in time? What if I don't make it in in time? Okay, that's a possibility. Thank you. We'll get you in the next time. But we want you to begin to sign up here beginning this afternoon, and we will look forward to 
having you with us. Compelling community. Let's pray. God, thank you for the privilege of being together today. I would ask that you help us to grow in you toward greater maturity, toward greater mutual care, and towards greater mission. Father, we don't want to do anything that's just a man-made plan, and we're certainly not doing anything new. God, God, you and Jesus gathered your small group together. First century, they met in house churches. So we certainly don't believe we're doing anything new here, and certainly not even new in our day, but it's new to us, and so there's lots of various things that we want to work out for this to be a smooth experience. But we cannot guarantee the various things that are necessary, and that is that you, Spirit of God, would be a part of all that we do and in and through all that we do, that Jesus would be at the very center as we discuss the text of Scripture, as we allow the Word to form us and grow us and change us. God, give wisdom now as as people are thinking about whether they would like to be part of our community groups starting in September. And I pray that you'd use this in a wonderful way in our church. We give this time to you. We ask that you would help us to go out thinking about the marvelous way that you show your wisdom to these heavenly beings in the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians, our worship team to come, and they will dismiss, our ushers will dismiss you uh, here in just a moment. Remember that outside the cookbooks will be available, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Look for a, a, a link to SurveyMonkey to sign up for community groups this week. Okay.
Bethel Baptist Church.